Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Good morning. Today is the day. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm your host, Carmen LeBurge. We're thrilled to have you with us this morning. Uh, There at the top of the hour, you heard news about uh, China and Hong Kong. You heard news about India and Pakistan in relationship to the region of Kashmir. We discussed both of those topics yesterday here on the program with Dr. David Aikman at the end of the second hour. If you want to go grab that podcast uh, really simulating conversation about worldview, why worldview matters and the underlying worldviews that are genuinely in very real competition right now for, I mean, I, world domination uh, might be one way of thinking about it. And so uh, when we talk about China's interest in Hong Kong and China's interest in being sure that uh, that their worldview Um, prevails in Hong Kong, uh, that's actually a motivation that their worldview would prevail around the globe. And the rising influence of China and communist ideas and ideologies, uh, we might have thought that, you know, those died off in the first Cold War. But you are going to see lots of language in headlines and lots of um, conversation among pundits about whether or not we are, in fact, either entering into or in a full-blown second Cold War, uh, this time uh, with China. And so uh, many of us don't really, like as adults, remember engaging in uh, ideological battle with communism. But that's actually what we're talking about. And when we talk about that, um, I think that uh, David Aikman's insights yesterday are really provocative. And that is certainly a conversation we will have going forward with others here on the program as well. So just wanted to highlight that. And and on the India-Pakistan uh, conversation in relationship to Kashmir, again, that's another giant worldview conversation. You're talking about uh, Pakistan, which is an Islamist country, where they believe that Sharia law is not only the law of their land, but ought to be the law under which everyone in all the earth uh, lives. And so uh, Hindu nationalism is a direct threat to that. And uh, Modi in uh, in in India uh, asserts Hindu nationalism, and so there's a, a worldview conflict there as well. And in all of that, in all of that, in every single one of those places, we're talking about uh, Christians being very, very, very small minorities of the population, very small minorities. And so let's be praying for Christians in all of those places. I also note that in the top of the hour news, we are talking about uh, China. Human rights violation sending Christians back to North Korea, recognizing that Christians are uh, are executed in North Korea. Um, and we are devastated to know that that's happening to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, but let us not imagine that China is the only one doing that. Um, it, it is noteworthy that a man named Jimmy, who grew up here in the United States, uh, was technically not a citizen of the United States even though this is the only country he has ever known as his home, we deported him. We, the United States of America, deported him 
to Iraq, a place where um, Christians are also not welcome. And uh, he spoke no Arabic. He had never been to Iraq, 41 years old, um, insulin dependent diabetic, and he died on the streets of Iraq. Um, And his body is coming back to the only home he ever knew, which is Detroit, Michigan. This is going to continue to be a part of the conversation we have to have here. Are we really a nation that sends Christians back to places where we know they will die, where we know they will, um, because of their faith, they will not find refuge? Is that who we have become? Because if so, how are we any different than China uh, sending sending people who have sought refuge in China. I mean, imagine that. Imagine that your best option from North Korea is to seek refuge in China, where Christians are also persecuted. Well, America ought to at least be a good option for you as a Christian globally to find refuge. But that is not where we are as a country right now in terms of our welcoming of the refugee. And so we need to be mindful of that. Um, You know, we live in a glass house. We live in a glass house, and we dare not throw stones at others um, who are, you know, frankly doing in large measure, what what we are also doing. And so when we talk about refugees, when we talk about asylum seekers, these are the, actually the stories that we're talking about. And we we as Christians need to have a worldview of these things that um, is dominated by our faith, not just by our politics. But the political conversations are ones that we are absolutely interested in having as well. Tommy Binion from The Daily Signal is in the wings waiting to join me. He and I are going to talk about some legislative efforts limiting access to guns. So we're going to continue sort of the Second Amendment conversation that we've been having now uh, for several days. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. And I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. Well, it's a long, long journey to the capital city. It's a long, long Tommy Binion is back with us from the Daily Signal of the Heritage Foundation. Hey, welcome back, man. Oh, I can't hear him very well, uh, Paul. Am, uh, all right. So um, here's my uh, here's my personal concern this morning. Time.gov, which is the little clock, online clock that I rely on, is not working. <laughs> so I don't know if the government has stopped time today or if they think that if they suspend time that it will give us an opportunity as a nation for um, uh, for our spending levels to catch up. I don't really know what's going on. But uh, if any of you out there have any wisdom or insight why time.gov is not working. Uh, but I have found another reliable, hopefully, clock to manage things by this morning. All right. Do I have Tommy? He has nice music. Oh, hey, Tommy. Welcome back, man. Good morning. Good morning. All right. So we're going to talk about the legislative efforts that are being uh, put forth in in response to it's, you know, it's not just in response to shootings in El Paso and Dayton. These are conversations we've been having as a country um, for a long time. And certainly these conversations rise to the forefront uh, when when we have a mass shooting. So maybe just kind of walk us around in some of the legislative efforts um, related to maybe access to guns is the right language to be using today. Sure. So there's, there's two big categories of legislation under consideration. And I have to say the, the way that the Congress has sort of boiled it down to be these two things is these two things uh, mm-hmm. need to be what is attainable. Um, and they are universal background checks, although I think that name is, is a bit of a misnomer, and red flag laws. So in this country,
country, if you're going to buy a firearm at a gun store, um, you're going to buy it from a federally licensed firearm dealer, which is anybody who sells more than six guns a year. And if you're going to buy a firearm from that licensed dealer, he or she is legally required to run a background check on you. But if you were going to buy, say, my firearm, um, because you are my neighbor and you're interested in it and I need to make some extra cash, um, you are not going to be subject to a background check. Uh, some, in some circles, they call that the gun show loophole because you might see a fellow gun owner at a gun show that wants to sell you a gun. So at this point, in all transfers of firearms require a background check. So that's the universal background check which I'm skeptical of, you know, to, to, to make um, private transfer. Hey, we're going to, Tommy, we're going to, we're going to go to a quick break. We're going to reconnect with you and see if we can get a little bit better connection. We're having a hard time hearing you. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Tommy Binion from the Daily Signal of the Heritage Foundation. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Talking with Tommy Binion from the Daily Signal, we're talking about some legislative efforts uh, that I would say, you know, they they rise up every time we have a mass shooting. And this time um, is no is frankly no different. Maybe the outcomes will be different this time. We're talking about efforts related to the access to guns in America. Uh, Tommy has shared with us efforts related to background checks, universal background checks. And now I think we're going to pivot to what are called red flag laws, or at least that's my guess. Tommy, is that where you're headed next? That's where I'm headed. You have clairvoyant powers. Um, red flag laws are really um, state laws or local laws uh, whereby if there is a concerning individual, perhaps a neighbor or a teacher or a parent, to contact law enforcement and have their Second Amendment rights deprived temporarily uh, on the basis that they might hurt themselves or others. Uh, and so it's, it's an opportunity for law enforcement uh, attempts to protect the community from a dangerous individual. Now, there's lots of due process concerns. Right. Okay, I hate to do this, but we can't hear you. So, Tommy, um, we're gonna, we're gonna, we will work on this again next week. I, I am so sorry. We're gonna, um, we'll, we're just gonna let, we're gonna cut him loose and let him go. Um, but you guys can check out what Tommy's doing at thedailysignal.com. And I'll, uh, I'll do my best here to, um, to finish what Tommy started there in terms of red flag laws. And uh, it's my understanding that what we're talking about. When we're talking about red flag laws are are laws that currently exist in many states at the state level. And they're in relationship to people who are identified as having some um, challenges, difficulties, reasons that we might all collectively say to ourselves, that's a person that ought not to have access to a gun. Maybe right now it might. You know, we're not saying that um, it's just that right now there's a red flag. So I don't know if you've ever um, played a sport where, you know, flags are used, right, to, like, indicate, okay, yellow flags, it's like a caution, right? And then there's red flags. And that means, you know, we got to bring things here to a halt, to a stop. Um, and it doesn't mean that you're not going to ever have the opportunity to, you know, sort of go again. Um, and so when we talk about red flag laws, we're talking about people who have identifiable, um, recognizable um challenges, issues, reasons that for their own safety and or for the safety of others, 
um, removing the, removing their access to firearms just seems prudent to everyone. And so when we talk about spiking suicide rates here in the United States of America, it would seem that uh, if we know people are actively ideating about suicide, it might be prudent for us to, as members of their family, um, limit their access to firearms. And if we need help doing that, um, then wouldn't it be great if there were a law on the books that enabled us to get some help in limiting the access of our own family members to firearms during a period of time when they are in such great distress that they're clearly not um, uh, making the best decision about their own welfare, right? Because that's the starting point of this conversation. Um, But the larger conversation is we can recognize that there is this very strange rising tide of anger, resentment, um, hostility, violence among a generation of young men in this country. And there are lots of reasons for it. Um, and there are uh, and there are lots of indicators on social media and elsewhere to which we can point and we can say, OK, maybe this is an individual who, based on his social media post, based on his um, recent purchase of uh, body armor, based on uh, the things that he is saying in in conversations with others, maybe as his friends and his family, we need uh, we need to help this person Uh, begin to view the world differently than he currently does. Like, And so I recognize that now what we're talking about are adults exercising their their freedom. But as soon as that freedom begins to impinge seriously on on the primary right to life, uh, liberty and the pursuit of happiness, uh, here in the United States of America, when when you start being a angry, gun-wielding, um, hostile, violent individual, we as a culture are going to say we've got to find a way to limit your access to um, to firearms. Now, uh, I, I recognize that as soon as I say that, um, everyone is going to point to the slippery slope. Everyone is going to say I'm, you know, I'm I'm not in support of the Second Amendment. Uh, that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, and and in our family, you know, uh, we've got uh, I've got. I've got a stepson who's a who's a Marine. I feel very confident in Jonathan's ability to uh, not only control himself, but to be a person who is in a very well-managed control of a firearm in any circumstance or situation. Um, it doesn't bother me that he carries all the time. Um, I'm not that well-trained. Uh, I have a concealed carry permit as well. Um, but I am certainly not as well-trained as Jonathan. And, um, you know, and... The conversations are complex and they're important. And certainly, if you're a gun owner, I hope you are keeping your gun in a locked safe. And I hope that everyone in your home um, and everyone who has access to your home um, uh, is privy to not only information, but limited in access. Right. Not everyone has access to firearms that are in a given location. Why is that? Because not everyone is proficient in their use. Not everyone knows what they're doing. And so uh, I think that we ought to be, as Christians, able to have these conversations about rights, about liberty. Um, And there are certainly Christians who think that uh, we as Christians should not ever consider the use of a firearm under any circumstances, even in in terms of uh, self-defense or defensive property. Like there are Christians who believe 
in an absolute pacifism related uh, to this topic. Why? Because we know where we're going. And if someone takes our life, we know we're going uh, to spend all of eternity, you know, in the in the full presence of the living God because of Jesus Christ. Other people don't know that. A person who is bent on taking your life is likely not a Christian. I'm just, you know, just going on a limb here. Um, and so, you know, is it a witness and a testimony uh, to not bear arms against that individual? Now, that's not where I am on this particular spectrum of conversation, but I'm open to hearing that viewpoint. Uh, there's actually, a, you know, a pastor out there who I really respect who that's that's what he preaches. He would not defend his own home nor his own family against, um, you know, against an intruder. Now, I, that's not where I am on this subject, but but I do know people who um, that's where they are. And so let me just say, as Christians, let's have the conversation. Let's lean in. Let's not lean away. Let's become well-educated on the topic. Let's absolutely know, uh, you know, what what the Constitution says. We had that conversation yesterday with Adam Carrington. What is the Second Amendment? What does it actually say? And what does it mean? And we're going to continue to have the conversation. Like, right, we're not done with this conversation because we as a country have certainly not figured it out. Gun violence is, well, we heard in the in the headlines uh, at the top of the hour, right, a rifle-wielding um, motorist in California tragically, in my view, took the life um, of one officer of peace and 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 wounded several others in what turned into uh, a very extensive gun battle on the highway in Riverside, California. And every single day we read headlines and are privy to, um, you know, personal posts on Facebook and elsewhere about people, individuals who've taken their own lives and the lives of others with a firearm. Um, I read yesterday about a couple in Washington State, older adults. Um, he took the life of his wife, and then he took his own life. He actually called 911 prior to, um, you know, I don't know, is it a double homicide? Is it a homicide and a suicide? Um, uh, he called them in advance. He said, you know, this is where you're going to find us. Come on over. Um, we can't afford our medical bills. And so um their access, would they have taken their own lives, you know, through physician-assisted suicide or some other means? I don't know. Um, but I do know this. If they hadn't had easy access in, you know, in that hour, in that moment to a firearm, the outcome of that story may be different. There would have been a longer period of time uh, for the 911 operator to say, you have other options. You have other options. Stay on the line with me. Let me get you, um, let me get you help that you don't even know is available. There are other options. And so let me just say to you, if you're listening right now um, and you are tempted to use a firearm in any way, um, you know, I don't know, other than what am I supposed to say? Hunting feral hogs. Right. Um, If you are tempted to use a firearm today in any way that does not regard the life, liberty and, and pursuit of happiness of the other individual first, then I want you to consider limiting your own access to that firearm. Limiting your own access. This is about personal responsibility. If we're going to have a conversation as a culture about this topic, then the first conversation that we as Christians need to have is, have I limited my own access? And am I having conversations in my own home, in my own church, in my own community about self-limiting our access to firearms that are doing real damage? And then are we doing things like hardening our schools, um, hardening our churches? And that's not hardening our hearts. That's uh, hardening points of entry. That's being sure that we um, that we have, you know, I'll say it this way, good guys with guns. Um, And, you know, and so 
law enforcement is your friend in this conversation, and let's be sure that we're including them in it. All right, uh, when we come back, I'm going to be talking with uh, Rosemary Stein. She's up in the next segment. We're going to talk about kids, kids in sports, kids in mass shootings, um, and kids heading back to school. Lots of conversations with Dr. Rose up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So as kids begin to uh, head back to school, there are lots of conversations that we could be having. Um, one of the conversations we have to have with our kids as they head back to school and one of the conversations that they will be having very early when they arrive back at school is a conversation um, about active shooter drills. They are going to have conversations in their schools, no matter how old or young they are, uh, they're going to have active shooter drills. What does that look like? What's the plan at your school? Is your child prepared for that? Um, It's one thing to prepare our kids and be sure that they've got all the school supplies they need. It's another thing to prepare them emotionally um, for those conversations about uh, about the possibilities of people doing horrendous things. And then how do we do that? How do we ease the horror of mass shootings for, for little kids in order that, you know, gosh, they just don't have so much anxiety that they can't even function? That's the conversation I'm having next with Dr. Rose here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, where in the word are you today? Uh, maybe, 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 maybe you are one of the people who have signed up for the verse of the day from My Faith Radio. And if you are a person who's not signed up for the verse of the day, I'm going to invite you to do that. You need to be spending time every single day in God's Word. Now, I realize a verse of the day is, um, you know, insufficient, but necessary. So we're going to think about it this way. Uh, although the verse of the day may be, you know, insufficient, it is necessary. And so you need at least a verse. So if you're not even getting a verse a day, let us help you. Come to MyFaithRadio.com uh, and sign up for the verse of the day or just text the word VERSE, V-E-R-S-E, to That's right. You can text the word VERSE to 555-888, and we will send you a daily dose of God's Word. Up next, Dr. Rosemary Stein. When I was a teenager, I used to lay out in the sun for hours without sunscreen. Hi, this is Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you be wise and thrive. Somehow, the thought of a nice summer tan made me forget one important fact. If you stay out in the sun too long, you don't tan, you burn. It was a good reminder that it is possible to have too much of a good thing. You know, that same principle is true when it comes to material things. Like the sunburn, we've all experienced the painful lessons of too much. Maybe it's an overdrawn checking account or the burden of credit card debt or feeling stress about giving to others. So how do you draw the line between enough and too much? The truth is, everyone's enough is different, and it's between you and God. So take some time to think about how you're making money decisions. Do they reflect your faith? Do you need to make changes? Asking and answering these questions will help you live a life of contentment, confidence, and generosity. For a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, the medicine go down. Dr. Rosemary Stein is back with us this morning. She works with the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Some of our friends out there in the big wide world uh, today. So, Dr. Rose, welcome back. Good morning, Miss Carmen. How are you today? I'm doing very well. I hope you are too. 
I am. I am. It is uh, Matthew is back at school for the first day today. And Eliana is it's like their official day back. She's a junior. She just got a car yesterday. It's very exciting times at the LaBerge household. Oh, my goodness. Not only exciting, a little frightening at the same time for a mom. Well, she's not driving it yet by herself, but, you know, it's in the driveway. So it's kind of exciting. There's the hope of, right, there's the hope of that opportunity. Yes, it's terrifying. I don't mind saying. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But she's a very good driver. So, um, okay, so let's talk about kids going back to school. I have three topics, um, and you can pick which one you want to lead with. Um, I'd love to talk with you about kids and mass shootings, particularly maybe these active shooter drills that kids are going back to school facing, um, general issues about kids heading back to school and some of the anxiety that's related to that, and um, and then also kids in sports. And we have to have, like, sports physicals before we go back to school, and it's always curious to me how those conversations change and evolve. Seemingly way more conversations about concussions. We have new forms to sign for school now related to, you know, what we know about concussions and signing off on stuff like that. So those are kind of the three subject matter areas I'd like to dig around in. Where do you want to start? Well, let's start with uh, kids in sports and the sports physicals. Uh, For the most part, all of you have about one time a year that you go in to see the doctor and you don't really have a lot of agendas except uh, that it's the physical time to catch up. And that's an important time. Uh, And so if your kid does sports, it's important to uh, keep that in the back of your mind. You'll also have other questions uh, regarding how the the kid's doing at school, what you're expecting. Uh, Make sure that the doctor, if at all possible, and hopefully your your doctor has a Christian uh, viewpoint, uh, can talk to your kid about staying away from sex and, uh, you know, bad bad influences, drugs, and stuff like that, but then really do touch on sports. And a a very important question or thing to keep in mind is, was there anybody in the family that had a heart attack or died suddenly uh, of a heart condition uh, before, let's say, the age of 35 uh, or 30, or even after that? Because because these will lead us to, to think about certain conditions uh, where we need to have your kid checked out before they start doing sports. Uh, so that's really important. And the other thing is, just because they did sports last year doesn't mean that this year they're they're going to be okay to do sports without uh, making sure that they're all checked out and you have all, all the questions asked. I've had a lot of kids that they did sports, but something comes up, they have palpitations, now their blood pressure is high. And so we need to make sure that the kid's going to be okay and is not going to have any problems uh, because they they are going to be involved in sports. Uh, so I, as a doctor, I, I feel very trepidatious sometimes when I see that there's a little red flag because that, that might ruin the, the rest of the kid's life. And I tell them, hey, you know, let's postpone the sports for a little while, maybe a month or two until we get this figured out because I I, I want to make sure that you're okay in the long run. That's very important that the kid, that your child is okay in the long run. So don't take your chances with things like that. So I'm reading this um, this survey about kids' involvement in maybe what I'll call organized sports. So we have sort of the disorganized sports of PE and, you know, physical education. And, hey, my kid needs at least 30 minutes of really good exercise every day. And 
you know, and way more than that in terms of just fresh air and outside time. Like, I get that. Right. Um, and and I'm amazed uh, some of the questions, uh, Dr. Rose, have changed from, you know, are you getting vigorous physical exercise to are you ever outside? Like, I'm stunned by the like, do you ever go outside? Like, that's a stunning question to me for a child to be asked uh, by you know, by a PA prior to uh, prior to a physical. That, this is stunning um, because we spend a lot of time outside in our family, but I'm recognizing that that must be a real problem if we're asking it of kids in doctor's appointments. So we have this new research where an, a- an average child spends less than three years playing a sport. Now, clearly they're talking there about organized sports and that they quit by age 11. Do you have any, I mean, I don't know, insight, wisdom about what I would say, kids' participation in organized sports? Well, the first thing that you think about is their affinity to to digital involvement and connection. And mm. because we've allowed our children to have relationships with their tablets and, and, and their phones, well, they don't have a relationship with the outdoors. It's almost like they've substituted one for the other. And so to be able to make a kid who enjoys the outdoors, who uh, takes pleasure from doing sports and having social activities that are are out, outdoor uh, related. You have to build that. You don't just think that okay, you're going to open the door and the kid's going to go out. They don't have a relationship that way. Uh, so you have to build it from the time that they're five and six. And if you didn't build it, then you're going to get the groans and you're going to get the eye rollings, and you're really going to have to sort of prod your child into liking the outdoors. And once they do, they really do like it. But there are way too many of kid vampires out there because we just haven't taken the time to build kids who enjoy being outdoors. And just even hiking with your kids on the weekends, making sure you take the time. And yeah, we're all too busy. But I was thinking about this. We shouldn't be too busy to be human. In other words, to take the time for the things that we have to do with our kids, really have to do, not, not, not the cleaning the house, but that we really need to be building our children. And I think that, that because of that, our kids are, are suffering. Okay, are our so, kids uh, becoming weapons of mass destruction? Yeah. So uh, we have taken up um, disc golf. Our local park put in a disc golf course. And so they used to call it Frisbee golf. I've now learned that's offensive to the disc golf community. So anyway, it's something that literally people of every age and and physical ability can play. It's really fun um, and it gets you outside and it gets and it's together and you're walking and you're talking. And it's uh, if you're looking for a family sport to jump into, um, it's cheap. And it's uh, the courses are free and it's a great interactive opportunity for your kids. So that's my little ad in terms of what we're one of the things we're doing as a family. We also kayak together and hike together. Good conversational kinds of um, of sports. All right. Dr. Rosemary Stein and I are going to be right back and we're going to talk about mass shootings and how we talk with our kids about that. And then also just preparing your kid before they go back to school for the active shooter drills that they are likely to have during uh, during the first week. So we'll be right back here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Rosemary Stein, Rosemary Stein, MD, if you're looking for her online. Um, Dr. Rose, let's talk about mass shootings. Let's talk about explaining uh, explaining it. 
I don't even know if you can explain it to kids, but how do we, you know, how do we enter into conversations with them about what's happening, about the world that, that we all inhabit together? And then how do you really prepare them uh, to go back to school where obviously active shooter drills are now a part of life? Oh, my goodness. Kids, kids today are uh, under <laughs> a different kind of assault. Uh, if you remember when I, well, or I remember when I was a kid, we used to hide under desks. That was that time uh, because, you know, we've, we were afraid that the Russians would drop a bomb on us. Uh, and so that was anxiety producing in itself. But today, this is the, that was a, sort of an unknown sort of fear. This is actually something that they can see in the news that has happened before. Uh, so that rather anxious children uh, are sort of being um, increased in their anxiety levels. And is there any way to explain this to a child, you ask? And I would say that it's it's a very difficult thing to explain. Well, where do you start? I mean, where do you start that conversation? I I think that uh, you take some time. First of all, as always, pray. Uh, and, and if if uh, mom and dad are together, pray as a family for wisdom to to find the right words to talk about something as as important as this. And say, what do you guys think about uh, what's been going on in the news and about people being shot? You know, shot at in different places. And, and have you heard, you know, where a few years ago there have been uh, shootings in schools? The first thing to do is to see where they are so that you you have an idea of where their fears are so that y- you can console that uh, and you can comfort that uh, with with the understanding that, you know what, kid, I'm, I'm here for you no matter what. A- and I know that the, the biggest thing is the fear uh, because, you know, chances are that this won't come to pass to you, but there's the fear out there that it could. And the fear is actually bigger than the chances of of anything happening to your child. But the, the fear can be debilitating. And that's where you really want to go to that situation is in in uh, trying to disarm that fear and help your child toward, through getting over to school and not thinking that every day, and, you know, a person might walk in there uh, and kill his schoolmate. Uh, so I, I think the first thing, an important thing is to see where your child is so you know where to grab this bull by the horns. So I've got a friend who, um, who with whom I've been talking about this, and, um, and he talks about uh, five things. He talks about truth. Like we have to help kids deal with the truth, deal with reality. But then very quickly following on the heels of that, he talks about console, you know, consoling them, consolation. And you use that term as well. Um, and that that there is legitimate fear and there's illegitimate fear. And we talk about, you know, what produces legitimate fear and what produces illegitimate fear. And we are, you know, as Christians, people who um, we we are not supposed to live in illegitimate fear. She so just helps them sort of sort through um you know, the things that are sort of more reasonable to be afraid of. And he gets out a map um, of the local community with all the schools on it. And and he points to them and he's like, okay, there's not been, none of this has ever happened in any of these places. And that's not to say that none of it is ever going to happen. And he gets out a larger map, like of, uh, you know, and you can pull them up online. It's actually pretty easy to do, like all the schools in a zip code or all the schools in a state. It's amazing how many there are. And we're talking then about a very, very, very small number of schools 
um, spread out across a very, very, very big country. And helping kids gain that perspective um, seems to, like, actually, like, lower their heart rate. Like, they're just like, oh. So it's not happening everywhere. It's, it's except for a very small number of kids, it's not happening right where they are. Um, and then so that realism part and then that empowerment part. And what does it look like to be empowered, to know how to respond, to know what to do? And that's what we talk about in terms of the drills that they're going to experience. We talk about that as empowerment. This is to empower you. This is to, you know, you 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 would feel completely out of control in the midst of that situation, but this is going to at least help you know where to go and what you're supposed to do. And so um, I think that giving uh, adults and parents some, just some, I mean, those are pretty simple. They're, I mean, you could come up with that list yourself. It's not all that hard as a parent. So just encouraging folks to do that. What are some other things as students head back to school this year? Do you have like a back to school checklist for um, for for parents of kids? Oh, I, I certainly do. We talk a lot about setting their time clocks, their internal time clocks the right way, because mm. too many children are up late and, and, and they get up late at the same time. And so because of that, they're just going to be dragging in the mornings and not being ready for school. And we don't think about that until maybe two days before they start school. So I tell them that two to three weeks before they start school is the time to start getting those internal clocks reset. And so the best thing to do is to try your best to start heading to bed between 9 and 9.30, even two or three weeks before, because you can't just expect your brain to turn on the way that you want it to. And at the same time, the kids should be waking up between 7.30 and 8.30. And I know there are a lot of eye rolls out there. Like, how do you expect us to do that? Uh, But because the kids are going to be waking up at 6.30, it only makes sense to make sure that by 8.30 they're up, that they're having breakfast, and they have a set number of things that they're doing. In the least, we should be thinking about doing that and having sort of a a more scheduled uh, day for them two to three weeks before they restart school so that, that they're primed and they're ready and, and they're a little excited. You should make it a little bit exciting that, you know, you're, we're going to be doing these things. We have these projects we need to finish around the house. It doesn't have to be classwork, but it should be something that we need to get these things done and this is how we're going to do them. And once we do these things, we're going to feel really, really great about it. And maybe we can, you know, go to the ice cream shop or go to the water park or something that's fun because we got this done. Uh, whether it's to paint or to to do your floors or something that you can feel excited about, but the 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 house has to wake up early uh, to get something done. I love that. Um, one of the things that I recognize every every year this time of year is that uh, I might, you know, as an adult, <clears throat> I might feel like, hey, this is just the this is just the rhythm of the you know back to school season, but it's not for the, for kids. Like they are actually different people than they were this time last year. They are different developmentally. They are different in terms of their capacity. And so I have to remember that every year as they get older, I need to adapt the back to school schedule and expectations and preparations to their age and stage. Um, and so, you know, we add a different, um, you know, like now you should be able to get up and get your own breakfast. Like I shouldn't have to set all that out before I come on the air. Um, right. Because everybody's in an age and stage when they should be able to handle that. 
um, get themselves up with an alarm clock is something that happens at, at a certain period of time. Like that shouldn't be something that as teenagers we have to do. Now, I recognize there are times that we have to intervene because they don't get up, but they ought to be moving in the direction of personal responsibility. Am I am I right in that? Absolutely. And remember that you're building an adult. So there's not an adult at this moment, but you're building one. And we want to build an adult that is going to be helpful and strong to the future. And so what are the things that an adult does? They they do get up by themselves. They make their beds. They don't have to be told every day, hopefully. Uh, but these are the things that you, you want to encourage your kid to do. And when they do it and they do it on their own, encourage them and tell them, you you know, I saw how you did that without my having to tell you. That's the way I like it. I mm-hmm. really appreciate how you did that. And those words will will hopefully stay with them, even if they don't do it the next day. Don't get impatient. But just you're telling them, I, I enjoyed that. I saw that. Acknowledge it, that they did something that is heading them towards adulthood. And they will, will respond to that. I love that. We're building adults. Thank you for helping us do it, Dr. Rosemary Stein. Hey, this is the end of the hour. We'll be right back. All right, so I love it when people text in uh, where they are in the Word. Anne is in Psalm 35, and with her church studying First Peter, they are in chapter 5 of that book. I am in Psalm 33, the book of Luke with my church, and the book of Mark with my Sunday school class. So there you go. Uh, where in the Word are you today? You can let me know by texting me at 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.